Uh, I was 17 years old. Uh, my buddy Wes, he was sitting behind me. Steve was sitting in the back seat to the right, and Fred, my buddy Fred, was sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, out of the four of us, I was the one that got my license first. And so I was the driver back then. And I know nowadays I've got a 15-year-old on the cusp of being a 16-year-old. Now they've got like, you got to wait six months before you can drive any friends and all that. And so back then, man, you got your license and you packed. I mean, you didn't even, there wasn't even seatbelt laws. Like you just packed my little T-top Nissan Pulsar. We could get like six guys in there, one in the trunk. Um, but <laughs> it was just the four of us that morning. Uh, and I just picked up my buddy Fred. He lived kind of back behind uh, Stevens Hospital in an apartment complex there. And so I'd kind of driven up and out of the hill. And Stevens Hospital is where I was born in Edmonds. Uh, and that, that street came out right by Edmonds, Wood, Edmonds Stadium. It was Edmonds High School at the time. And then now it's since become Edmonds Woodway. They combine the schools. And so that's where uh, actually some of my, my uh, nieces and nephews go. Or are set to go. They don't go there yet. But, um, but yeah, as I came to a stop on that road, and uh, I was going to take a left-hand turn, not a free right, a left-hand turn across a lane of traffic. Uh, and mind you, I was probably on my way to a Taco Bell run because in 1996, all high schoolers at some point were on their way to Taco Bell for that Taco Bell run. Uh, but as I came to a stop, of course, I looked left, I looked right, and I looked left again because we all do exactly what we learned in driver's ed. Uh, and I began to creep forward, creep forward to take that left-hand turn. So I'd looked left, obviously I'd looked right, and then I had obviously looked left again, and I started to creep forward to make that left-hand turn, and wham! Okay? A guy threw his hands down on the hood of my car. Boom! And I'm like, whoa, what did I just hit, right? And, uh, and he walked around the side of the car, and he proceeded to yell at us kids, the four of us in this car. J things you don't say at church, all right? And now, mind you, we were four athletes. So uh, we were not small guys. And I tell you what, Wes, who was sitting behind me, it was a good thing he was in the back seat because Wes had a temper. Wes had that switch he was the middle linebacker of the football team. That switch you need to have if you're going to compete at a high level in sports. And we knew about Wes that he actually sometimes flipped that switch and had no control of turning it back off. And so it was really good that, I love, uh, he's not watching. <laughs> so <laughs> I should have used fake names, but I didn't. Um, so if you're watching ever, Wes, Steve, Fred, sorry. Um, but we could have, at any point, all four of us got out of the car and de-escalated that interaction with this gentleman. He was far from a gentleman, but he was a gentleman. Um, and uh, this guy walked around the side of the car, continued to yell at us. Um, and, uh, and I, as he walked around, he was, I mean, obviously yelling directly in at me. Um, I probably had that dumbfounded look on, like, and I didn't respond at all. So he probably thought I was like some arrogant punk teenage kid, like I was, uh, and wasn't, you know, wasn't even registering what was going on. And so he literally, boom, and kicked my door. And I did what any right person in that situation would do. I drove off. I ran as fast as I could. As long as you're the fastest person, you don't get caught, right? And so I took off, uh, and I ran, and 
we proceeded to go on to Taco Bell like nothing had happened. Bean burrito minus red sauce plus green sauce, seven layer uh, burrito, those were my go-tos in high school. Fast forward about two or three hours later, uh, most of us had returned home. I was at Wes's house. I got a page from my parents. So kids, high school kids in the room, there were pagers back then. There were no cell phones. There were little pagers you wore on your pants and your parents would dial a number and then they would page you their phone number so that you would call them back. And so I got the 425-774-4275. That's still my parents' phone number. And then after that, I just put it online. What am I doing? <laughs> Mom and dad, sorry. After that phone number, there was a 911, which at that point doesn't mean call the police. That means call me right now, you are grounded. Um, and so I called my parents back. My parents let me know that the police were at their house uh, and that I needed to proceed to the police station to talk with the officers involved with what they think that I was involved with a hit and run, but my parents obviously knew that it wasn't me and that there was a misunderstanding. So I remember uh, when I got to that police station, Wes had come with me uh, and Steve and Fred were already there. Uh, we, had, we were sat in different rooms uh, and the interrogation started, right? Come to find out this couple, in that moment, there was a woman with him, had walked the half a block up the road and went into the ER of Stevens Hospital, claiming they needed medical help and that they were involved in a hit-and-run accident where the car hit them and then sped off, um, leaving them there in the road. Rolled up on the hood. They thought maybe the windshield of the car was broken, and, you know, they shared all these details with the police officers. So the cops bring us in, and all three of us, all four of us are in separate rooms, and we proceed to tell our story. And the cops proceed to let us know that this couple had claimed many different things that had happened as part of that story. But all four of our stories lined up with each other, exactly what had happened in, during that moment and during that uh, time. The cops told us that there were obvious holes in the other people's stories, and uh, we were, luckily, let go with no repercussions at all. And that was the uh, only time I had been sequestered and questioned for a crime I didn't commit. <laughs> now, the question in, uh, about crimes I have committed, I just haven't been caught yet. So, uh, now in that situation, uh, this situation, the truth was made known by the witnesses of the accounts of the people that were involved with what was going on at that time. Today, we continue our series, Motivated by Glory, where we've been walking through actually only one week and only 11 verses of 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter, and we talked about last week, um, uh, and, and we'll pick up right where we left off. And remember, we established that Peter, the author of this letter, was far from perfect. He didn't view himself as holier than anybody else. He had his own flaws and, sin and, and sins. Um, and and we, we talked about this idea of what causes us as people to abandon God's glory, to abandon God's glory in our life. And even the flip side of that, what causes us um, to, um, to uh, question uh, 
God and his involvement and in, in, in what he is uh, doing uh, in, our, uh, in our lives. And so, uh, this morning we're going to continue this series uh, displayed through God's word, uh, how the Bible actually points to God's glory, how the, the Bible actually uh, bringing glory to God is then something we have to accept as truth, um, and, uh, and, 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 and we'll do that picking up right where we left off in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, and we'll be talking today specifically because it addresses the truth of Scripture. Um, all right, chapter 1, verse 12 starts like this, and you can use your uh, phone for your Bible if you want. Uh, I tend to uh, use the ESV for study and read the NIV for leisure. Just something I wanted to share with you. You guys do, uh, do you. The verses today will be in, in ESV. Uh, therefore, I, attend, uh, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are, are, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, and this is Peter talking about this, to stir you up by the way of a reminder, since I know that putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things." And so here we have Peter writing what is his last recorded letter, uh, and, and, and he's talking about something that is of big, that is of huge importance, and, and, and something that he wants to leave us with. Because if you hear what he said there, that he was uh, his soon, and he had he had actually kind of come to grips of this with Jesus. Soon he would be no longer. He would die. And he said, before that time, of which I've, I'm all right with, with, I made that all right conversation with Jesus, and I'm all right with where I'm at. I know that it's coming to an end soon. And because of that, I want to leave you with this one thing. I want to leave you with this, and it actually probably prefaces the whole rest of the book, but specifically right after he says this, he's like, this is what I want you to take with you. And I don't know uh, what it's like to be on your deathbed and sharing your last moments, but what I do know is that, and I, and I want to remind you, is that actually each one of the disciples, minus maybe questionably John, um, and we'll get to that here in a second, uh, died for the cause of Christ. Gave their life early years because of them displaying faith and trust in Jesus. Peter and Paul, Paul, I'll get to Peter in a second. Paul was beheaded and crucified uh, in 66 AD. Andrew, and we know Paul, Paul was a prolific writer of the New Testament uh, in, in his claim of a life he used to live and the life he chose to live, and he made it very clear to everybody the life that he knew was the right life as opposed to the life that he had used to live. He felt the guilt of that life for a long time, but he placed his faith and trust in Jesus. Andrew, uh, it was said that he, uh, he was the one to bring the gospel to the, the area which is the Soviet Union today. He brought the gospel there, uh, and Christians there claim that he, he was the first one there to do that. He preached in Asia Minor, and in modern day what is Turkey, in Greece, 
And, uh, and the, the history books tell us that Andrew was crucified. Thomas. Thomas um, uh, probably, he, he was really active in Syria and in India. Uh, and there was a group of Christians that, that claimed for him to be the founder of Christianity and their movement. Um, and, 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 and it is said that uh, Thomas died by the spear of four soldiers because of his faith and trust in Jesus. Philip in Carthage, Carthage in uh, North Africa and Asia Minor. Uh, Philip is known because he, he uh, converted the wife of a Roman, um, of a Roman officer of that time. Uh, in, in relation to that, Philip was arrested and, cruel and put to a cruel death. Matthew, the tax collector, the one that Jesus called away from uh, riches and fame, in, 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 well, not really fame, actually, riches only. People despised him, but he had that riches, and he was holding tight to that. He left all of that to follow Jesus, and he went to Persia and Ethiopia, uh, and, and the reports say that he was martyr, uh, martyred and put to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew uh, was, uh, was with Thomas in India, uh, and he was martyred for the gospel. James, um, James um, was one that also ministered to Syria, and the, uh, the Jewish historians tell us that he was clubbed to death over his faith and trust in Jesus. Simon the Zealot, uh, refusing to sacrifice to a sun god, he was put to death because he wanted to put his faith, he put his faith and trust. And Jesus, Matthias was the disciple that uh, replaced Judas, and he was uh, burned to death uh, after uh, serving in Syria. And then John uh, exiled to the island of Patmos, and there's talk about him being burned with oil and things like that as well. And, um, and so I don't know that you know, if he lived there, he wrote Revelation. If he lived there, that life, <laughs> whew, other than the divineness of writing Revelations, um, you know, in line with sacrifice and death. Um, and so for us this morning, uh, all of these disciples had given their life for, for this cause, for this story. Uh, Peter, the one who wrote this letter, actually, Peter uh, ended up uh, being crucified upside down because he said he didn't want to die in the same way Jesus did because he felt it would be dishonoring to his Lord. But not only that, Peter's wife, the day before, it's, it's recorded, the day before Peter was crucified, uh, Peter's wife was put to death. And in the final moments, it's recorded that Peter said, remember Christ. To his wife, and then the next day was put to death by still, yet still professing a faith in Jesus. And um, this isn't a scientifically proven theory uh, around the gospel or the word of hope that is in Christ, but I can tell you this, church, uh, this, the stories of the disciples went way too far for this book and the story of Jesus' life to be a lie. It went way too far for the 12 of the hand, you know, the, the 12 and maybe a handful of the hundred or maybe even a little bit of the thousands that were following Jesus. Uh, it went far too, too far for them to, uh, after Jesus' death, for them to get together and be like, all right, Jesus died. Now let's make up a story 
about what had happened. And then in three days, they came up with this story that actually Jesus rose again, and and it was all a lie. Went far too long for it to be a lie. Because I tell you, the 12 of Jesus' closest friends, the inner circle in the upper room with this idea, they, I mean, I tell you what, maybe after like the third, maybe the third recorded death of a disciple, the others are folding. That is as far as the lie would go. Oh, all right, I'm done. Like, or Peter, dude, they killed my wife. I'm out. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell the truth now, right? They all held tight to, to the truth that was Christ and what he did for everyone. A group of people, or even uh, historically, or even just the right-mindedness, don't give their life for something that they know is a lie. And I tell you what, you might say, well, there's a lot of religious people who gather who have given their life for other religious calls. But in that, in that, in that, they actually believed that that was the truth. But what we see here is that the people who were right there in the moment gave their life for something of which it, it was recent history. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to give my life for, for uh, Buddhism or whatever it might be hundreds of years later or thousands of years later because I believe it's true. Now, these were I, as the scriptures tells us, and we'll get into it in a second, these were eyewitness accounts. Peter had already denied Jesus three times at the fire. I mean, it probably wasn't too much of a stretch to think that in the last moments he'd be like, all right, I'm out. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny him again, and I'm going to go about maybe a horrible life, but I'm not giving my life for this. And he didn't. In verse 16, it says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made, uh, we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory uh, from God the Father, and the voice was born from him, the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, this is the transfiguration, in whom I am well pleased. That's God saying that to them. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths, when we, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to the majesty, to the glory of God. What Peter is saying here, and what all the disciples are saying through the epistles and the other letters that were written is, we did not make this up. If you don't believe me, go and ask the people that are still alive and that were still around at that time. You've heard me say, you, you've heard me mispronounce numerous names in the Bible, all right? Those names, a lot of those names are in the Bible because the, 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 the writings of those books were written in the same generation, in the, in the same 20 or 30 years of what had happened. And those names are in there because then you can go take account of it. Go back and talk to Shishimahana, right? Go back and talk to them, right? In 1 Corinthians Paul actually says, and this is, so granted, some of the, the, the books that are in the Bible, some people outside of the Christian historical idea of it say that uh, some of those books are maybe like a little later 
uh, maybe they're like 40 years or 50 years after, but still, I mean, a short time. A lot of them are 20 years, 25 years, and in, in, in 30 years around that same time of what happened. And so we, we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that there were 500 witnesses to Jesus showing himself again. And he says that because he's saying at that time, in that city, when Jesus appeared, there was 500 people who witnessed it. Go. Go and, like, take an account. Go and talk to the people who are still there. They're still hanging out. They actually saw it. See, most of these New Testament letters, the epistles, uh, to include Second Peter, were all written within the same generation of the recorded happenings of the Gospels, of the hope, of the story of Jesus' life, of which we put his life, death, and resurrection, of which we place our faith, hope, and trust in. Right? They're not some myths that 200 years later, somebody wrote a book, and they were kind of recalling their best knowledge of the instance of what happened. They're actually written just shortly thereafter. And they're very uh, collaborative in that. Much like a group of four punk high school kids in a T-top Nissan Pulsar whose stories collaborated and they got off, right? All right, so just making sure you're still here with me. Uh, but see, I also love that Peter works uh, he works in this, uh, this presence of him at the transfiguration. I talked about this very briefly last week, and where he says, you know, God said, this is my son in who I am well pleased. And this moment in Scripture, if you remember, it was God, uh, Peter, James, and John, I believe, up on the mountain, and uh, uh, Moses and Elijah show up, and, and Jesus' glory is on full display in that moment, so that I think Peter, James, and John can experience the full glory of Jesus. Uh, and, and in that moment, Moses and Elijah show up in a vision. And, and, and I love Peter being Peter because it's what I would do. Peter steps in and says, isn't it good that we're here? Like hanging out, Jesus. Like, isn't this great? And then that's when God says, actually, shush. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to to Jesus, and we get God displaying his glory. It's actually said that if you, if you want to know God, you have to know Jesus, right? If you want to know uh, beginning to end, if you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. And so look at the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those accounts of the Bible, right? But I would say to you, if you want to know Jesus, get into the Word, get into Scripture, Look at these stories of Jesus. Look at his life and what he did and how he lived. We have this display of God's glory uh, in his word. So if you want to know God, look at the life of Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you've got to get to know him through his word and what he has for you. Verse 17, for, we, for when we received honor and glory of the God the Father and the voice of heaven was born out of the majesty of glory, this is my son, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's really, what Peter's doing, he's making a list of the, explaining ways we can see God's glory. He started first with his son, with Jesus, for the first 11 verses, talking about God's glory displayed through him, and then now he moves on to this idea of Scripture. Scripture being the prophetic, it's called, being the prophetic telling of, of the glory of God, of the glory of Christ. In verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp sitting in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. What he's saying is here is he's saying, you have eyewitness to Jesus. You also have the prophetic word. And that's talking Old Testament at this time, right? Some of the New Testament isn't as in circulation, but he's talking about the Scripture, the Holy Word, what God's given us, the Bible true and confirmed by eyewitness accounts, he says, which it would be well if you paid attention to, if you gave it attention in your life, a lamp in a dark place, and it talks about this morning star, this, this Jesus who present in your life brings glory and illumination and in the end he's actually even foretelling to when Jesus comes again. Verse 20 knowing this first of all that no prophecy or scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, And I tell you what, this is when it gets good for me because I kind of geek out with some of this, but um, this is where it gets good. Peter alludes to it twice in, in, in this section of Scripture that we've been looking at. Even more than that, um, but he says, for we do not follow cleverly devised myths. He's saying it's truth, it's confirmed and then he says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It doesn't come from man's interpretation. It is God's divine work that brings it to truth. And I think you might think to yourself, like I did, well, men wrote this book, right? Right? You might be thinking, well, the Bible was written by man. Right? I told you, Paul wrote it, Peter wrote this letter, you know, uh, Luke, I mean, I mean, like, you know, like man wrote the Bible. And I, and I think of it this way, because what the Scripture actually says, it says that um, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone owns interpretation, um, uh, that from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried actually is a word called pharaoh, to pharaoh something, to carry it along. And so uh, it's, it's carried along what this is said by the Holy Spirit, by God himself carried along through, this, for the, through these men. And actually verse 18, it says when the voice came from heaven, the voice pharaohed from heaven. God carried the voice down. And so uh, it, it, it makes me think of, um, of this analogy, and I totally ripped this off. 
from a guy that I listened to a couple weeks ago because uh, I actually just last week uh, got to hang out with uh, one of our foster kids again, Baby P. And so uh, I'm just going to, Paisley, you you guys know Paisley, but this was Paisley last week and her first birthday she celebrated at her house. Like the dad in me is like, I got to share that. She devoured that cake. She like cake monster. Anyways, but I stole this analogy. Listen to this. So uh, I got to hang out with Paisley. She just turned one. She's not quite walking yet. Okay? And so um, uh, I would uh, put Paisley down between my legs, and I, she would hold my fingers, and she would like, you know, like that's her walk, right? Like she, she doesn't have it all together, but holding my fingers, we could get from the living room to the kitchen, we could get to the toy that she wanted, we could chase the cat around the house, like just like this, right? And so who in that moment was getting from place to place? Paisley was, right? Paisley's legs were taking her places, but it was my hands that were directing her. She was holding my fingers and walking. And getting to where she had to be. And, and I couldn't think, I, I wanted to think of an analogy of my own, this fresh new look at it, but I was like, no, that one makes sense to me. In the same way, yes, man wrote the scriptures, but God carried it. God directed it. God actually penned it. God made it truth. God directed the men to write divinely what he desired in the direction that we would go with that truth. That's the best kind of analogy that I could come up with that. Right? And that's different than man writing it. Right? I often admit, and I try to get you to admit it through shame, that we fall short. We are flawed. You're, I'm sorry if this is news to you, you're flawed. I'm really flawed. Um, But in God, we are restored. And so God uses us to do amazing things. And for each one of us, with that, we all have standards. Some sort of things we believe to be true about ourselves, that we believe to hold ourselves to morally maybe or however it may be but over time that changes if you think about your life when you were a child right when you were a child you know eight nine ten years old you believe things and then when you're the ripe age of 15 13 14 15 or 16 when you get it all figured out life you believe differently right And then, man, when you're in your 20s, you're like, I know better than everybody. Like, I'm going to change the world. And then when you're in your 40s, you're like, man, I was foolish. Just foolish. But over time, things change. And, And our ideas, our standards can change. But see, that's what's different about God's glory. That's what's different about God's truth. It is actually never changing his truth is true 
yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our ideas and our standards, our values, our morals oftentimes change. Even in some cases, change very easily. I mean, just think about 10, 15 years ago, the things you believed and what, how and what, and they've changed over the last 10 or 15 years. I've come off of some of those ideas in my life as well. Even 10 years ago when my family planted this church, there were things that I believed that a church should be and do. And, but that, those things have changed even in my life over time. And then oftentimes, that's because of my flawed nature either back then or even right now. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's why... Um, that's why Sunday morning gatherings, and believe me, my life, my, my well-being as a pastor depends on a Sunday morning gathering right now. Right now, my life. My life, that was... See? I'm flawed. Flawed. But, I mean, this is... Gathering together is of great nature, but this can't be it. This cannot be it. Right? God's glory and His desire for us is in all areas of our lives and of all standards in our lives. And now I hope, I hope I bring the truth of God often and all the time. Um, and reading and looking into it, I'm reading around the stories, reading your scripture and getting into it, getting into the Bible about Second Peter and knowing it. I mean, that is more than a Sunday morning thing, and that is something we need to do to understand that truth, to understand that, uh, that, that pillar of truth that never changes. And what I tend to, tend to do, what we tend to, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to rope you in this, what I tend to do is, and it's even hard to say this, because our, our, I know our culture tells us this today. It says, you believe what you want to believe, and that's true. Culture today tells us that. That you can believe whatever you want to believe, and it can be true for you. Right? That's called relative truth. What is true to you is true. You can come up with that on your own, however you want to do it. And that couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> That couldn't be further from the truth. What that does, and we talked about this in our previous series, what that does is that gives you all of the power to come up with truth. And even though I didn't make you raise your hand, we all know that if I'm in charge, that's not a good thing. If truth comes from me, I'm going to miss the mark, right? That gives us the power, and it actually... The opposite of motivated by God's glory, it's motivated by my glory, by believing what it is that I want to believe. The truth is Christ and Christ crucified, death buried and resurrected in the eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts to this happening. The truth of Scripture. Hebrews 3, 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's Word, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the very beginning, 
creation of it all, God's truth. In the time of Peter's life, the denial, the speaking out of turn, the uh, slicing an ear off, God's truth, still the same. In a little dance barn, nestled in the woods, in Sudden Valley, God's truth, still the same. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The truth of Scripture is what it is, and it isn't changing. I thought about it this week, and I thought about this idea, even thinking of all that the disciples and their deaths and actually like writing down what happened to each one of them and how they died and the life that they lived and the ministries they went on to do. And I thought about myself and I was riddled with guilt because, you know, I'm not living a life. I didn't, I said it last week, not even close to Peter. But yet, I think about it, and I think about culture and what was going on at that time, and, 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 and yes, yeah, some of that is happening today still, but nowhere near. And what, 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 what brought truth and what, what kind of brought it home for me was this idea of, of how much the early apostles, the disciples, were about the idea of changing the culture of Christianity, of changing uh, the current reality of what was going on to bring what was called the, the way, the new way, the faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, the eyewitnesses' accounts of what he did and focus on Jesus and Jesus alone and how culturally the disciples and the apostles did that. They changed the culture. And so this morning, I want to leave you with that. Hopefully, we've talked about and understand the idea of Scripture being truth, Scripture being real, Scripture being uh, what we need to anchor ourselves on and not wavering from it, not uh, falling off because culture is telling us to believe something different and telling us to what you believe is you. You be you. And that's truth for you. This is truth. And I wanna, what I want to encourage you with is the idea that we all have the power to change culture. That our stories of how Jesus has changed our lives, our stories of how God has worked a mighty work, our stories of how God has delivered me, how God has directed me, how God has uh, healed me, how God is uh, walking with me, how God is uh, accepting of me, those stories in our lives and shared with others give us the power to influence culture for people to come to know the truth. Amen? Yeah? Everybody still with me? Do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? Do you believe that you have the power to change something? Through Jesus. Sorry. I'd be like, yeah, I could do it. Then I run away, um, which is often what I do. But in Christ and in his truth and what he desires for you, for me, is greater than anything that I would try to do on my own. 
and in all honesty, has more power to influence those that are around us than anything we could accomplish or any truth we could kind of be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to believe this right now. I'm going to believe Christ and him crucified. It's life, death, and resurrection generously given for me. I want you to believe that. I want to believe that. I want to believe that more in my life. 